Good morning, everybody. At this time, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of your gifts. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for your word, which is alive and powerful. Father, we thank you for all your blessings. We know that sometimes they come in the form of difficulty and challenge. We also know that all things are working together for good because of your oversight and your plan. And Father, this morning we ask that we would hear your word and believe it and be ready to put it into practice. We also pray, Father, for the needs of all the saints this morning. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This time I'd like you to please rise and we'll sing a congregation song. Isn't that a beautiful song? That's another one we're going to learn. (laughs) All right. A couple of announcements before we get started. Just a reminder, you guys were great today. The food station closes at 9.55. When the music starts, it's time to sit down. All right. Also, schedule note, we will have service on Sunday, August 27th in two weeks. I had originally announced we wouldn't, but we will now. So everything's normal as far as schedule, as far as the eye can see. But then again, I'm getting blind. All right. So um, Let's turn at this time to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 18. John, chapter 14, verse 18. And we will begin. John 14, 18. Jesus speaking again to his disciples in the upper room. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you in me, and I in you. Last time we examined verse 18 and the first part of verse 19. We saw that Jesus was speaking of his death and resurrection, as well as his post-resurrection appearances to believers. And we noticed that he has two markers of time here. The first one is in verse 19, after a little while. And then we saw what that expression meant. It meant when he was going into the grave and then he was raised from the dead by, from his father. We saw that the world would never again see Christ and because he, when he's in that grave, that's it. Okay. However, when he rises from the dead, he will appear to his disciples, to believers. In those 40 days between when he is buried and risen and when he goes back to be with the Father in the Ascension. Today we pick things up in the second half of verse 19. Because I live, Jesus says, you will live also. Notice, because I live is a statement of fact. You will live is a statement of future fact. So there's a relationship between Jesus living... And the fact that the disciples and us will then live. That's important to understand. Again, the context is critical. The time is critical. Now here, we want to understand what does he mean about because I live. Because we have to, as always, have to then look at the 
the, uh, the neighborhood. We have to look at the context. What has Jesus just spoken about? His, his death and resurrection. So what do you think I live refers to? His resurrection. Good. Okay. So he's talking about his resurrection. So he's talking about life. He's talking about his resurrection. And as we've seen, life is a major theme in the Gospel of John. In fact, indeed, remember the, 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 the purpose statement that we saw, see at the end, John chapter 19, verse 30. Um, Jesus said that, John wrote, wrote um, these things I have written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing you may have life. In his name, eternal life is a major topic, a major theme in the Gospel of John. Okay, so again, back to the question. Because I live, you will live also. Now, in one sense, of course, Jesus has always lived. Please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Go back to chapter 1 of the John. The very beginning of the Gospel of John talks about life. But let's see what, what life means in that passage. The very introduction to the word, the person of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 1. So again, in one sense, Jesus always lived. And of course, he always will live. As a matter of fact, we saw recently in chapter 14, verse 6, that he says, I am the life. He is life. And so in one sense... It means that he's always lived, he always will live. In fact, he's life itself. Look at John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, as the Son of God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning, that's a beginning before time, with God. All things that have come into being through him. And apart from him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. All of creation went through the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God. But then notice verse 4. In him, the Word now, the Son of God, was life. And the life was the light of men. And again, as we saw recently in chapter 14, verse 6, he did say that he was the life. But this morning, our passage talks about the fact that he, because he lives, we will live also. So he's talking in our passage this morning about a particular kind of life. He's not talking about the fact that he always lived and he always will live. He's talking about what it is that we can share in in that life. We're not the son of God. We're humans. And so there's something about his humanity and the life associated with his humanity. By the way, that life is going to go on forever, of course. And us and the life that we are invited to and entered into when we believe in Jesus Christ. So again... He's talking about a particular kind of life here. And this is a life that his disciples will share soon in the future. Okay, so they didn't have it and they won't have it from their perspective until he rises from the dead and he ascends into heaven ultimately. And we're going to see that that life has a beginning and then it continues. And so we're going to, under, we're going to understand, particularly in verse 20, when he, when he talks about that life, um, we're going to see the time time context of that. So this life that he's talking about this morning is a life that the disciples will share in in the future. Okay, so let's consider the gospel again as a whole. When we read the gospel as a whole, we see that Jesus came to impart a new kind of life to his disciples. And indeed, whoever will believe in him, look at John chapter 3, verse 16 now. 
John chapter 3, verse 16. Because I live, you will live also. John 3, 16. Another verse that talks about life, but a particular kind of life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him. In the upper room, he's talking specifically about the disciples. Here, he's talking about whoever. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life is something that begins when somebody believes in Jesus Christ. We're not born with it. Okay? Because we're, we're born, as a matter of fact, this can't, the life that he could share with us cannot be the life that, G, that the Son of God has always had in the Godhead. Okay? It's another kind of life. It's a kind of life that Jesus himself receives, if I could put it that way, when he rises from the dead, because this is associated with his resurrection. And whoever believes in him will have that kind of life. Notice here in verse 16 of chapter 3, it's qualified, right? That word eternal life. It's a particular kind of life. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about that kind of life more than any other kind of life. Eternal life. He talks about it here in chapter 3, verse 16. He talks about it a lot of places. And, in, and, and every time, almost every time, it's in the connection of believing. So there's a life that comes when we believe in Christ. As a matter of fact, also, um, if you look at eternal life, the, the, the expression of it, the description of it in the New Testament, more than half of the appearances of that expression eternal life appear in John's writings. That's not only the gospel, but also the letters. So it's a clearly, it's a central message that John is trying to get across to believers in Jesus Christ. Well, it turns out that a little while in the, in the, in the Gospel of John, from where we are right now, Jesus is going to define it. He's going to define what eternal life is. And, he, and we find that in John chapter 17. I'd like you to turn there now. Chapter, chapter, John 17, starting in verse 1 where Jesus defines eternal life. There are certain key things in the Word of God that are clearly defined. Like, for example, the Gospel is clearly defined in, in, in 1 Corinthians, right? Chapter 13, chapter 12, chapter 14, 15. Wherever, it, it's, it's, I think it's 15. <laughs> yeah, it's 15 because he's talking about the resurrection. It's defined. Here is what the gospel is. A lot of people scratch their heads about the gospel. A lot of people want to go here, there, and everywhere to try to construct something that, well, all of these things are the gospel. But the fact of the matter is that it's defined. And we ought to stick with the definition. It's the same thing with eternal life. A lot of people want to come up with their concepts of eternal life. Turns out Jesus defined it. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to stick with the definition he gives. Let's see what it is. John chapter 17, verse 1 Jesus spoke these things, and he's praying now to the Father. And lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. That's the hour for his death and resurrection. Then he says, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even, Father, as you gave him, the Son, authority over all flesh, notice that to all whom you have given him, those are believers, he may give eternal life. In other words, eternal life is a gift that is given to the believer when that believer believes in Jesus Christ. It's a gift. But notice verse 3. This is the definition. Notice it says, this is eternal life. 
In other words, I'm about to define eternal life for you. This is eternal life. Well, what is eternal life? And again, you can, you can step back and you try, maybe you draw a diagram and it goes all the way back to eternity past and that's the life that Jesus had. And then you draw a line all the way into the future and say, in the future, we're going to live forever. Okay, well, that's certainly true. And there's certainly, a, you can derive that, I suppose, from this definition. But that's not the definition. Notice what the definition is. I hope this will, for those who, who maybe haven't concentrated on this before, revolutionize your understanding of eternal life and what it's really all about. Again, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you. What's eternal life? That the believer in Christ may know God the Father. But not only God the Father, notice, that, he, that, that, you, that they may know you, the only true God, that's the Father, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's why I picked the song this morning, to come to know him. Remember, that's what Paul said in chapter 3. He's been saved for 20 years. He's an apostle. And he's saying, this is what I'm striving for, that I may come to know, in, this, in that context, Jesus Christ and his resurrection, be conformed to his death, to come to know. In other words, eternal life starts when we believe in Christ and all the way through, it's a very simple thing, knowing God the Father and knowing Jesus Christ. To the extent that you're participating in that, you're, as it were, growing in eternal life, if I could put it that way. You know, um, In other passages, talk about, well, Paul talks about the fact that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. That you may strive for eternal life. That you may sow and therefore reap eternal life. See, these are things that are going on in our, in our natural, not natural life, but our temporal life in time. When we're here on planet Earth, after we believe in Jesus Christ. What's eternal life now? And we say, well, we, we have eternal life now, and that's true. What is it, though? Simple. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The word known, we've seen this because it's used quite a bit in the Gospel of John, has a, a, a specific meaning beyond just knowing facts. Because some people will say, well, I know, I know the Father. He's the first person of the Trinity. He's the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you come up with a couple of other definitions of the Father, and you say, okay, now I know him. You might say the same thing about Jesus. I know he's God. I know he's man. I know he came. He's my Savior. And all those things are critical to know. On the other hand, this definition here of eternal life goes way beyond those facts. Why? Because the, the word know means to know something or hear somebody in a very personal, intimate, experiential. You experience this way. You can experience eternal life in time. How? By knowing in this sense, by having a personal, intimate knowledge, connection, relationship with the Father and Jesus Christ. One of the ways, one of the most powerful ways that we come to know Jesus Christ is in his suffering. So in a, in a, in a really kind of a, a way that doesn't make sense to our human way of thinking, the fact that we would experience death means that we would have more eternal life. So this isn't, this isn't the kind of life that we think about. It's not just, well, you know what, I'm going to die and then I'm going to be alive again, although that's part of it. 
It goes way beyond that. It goes to the fact that we're learning more and more about who God is, more and more about who Jesus Christ is. We're participating not only in Jesus' resurrection, but also his death. We're being conformed to his death. And that process yields eternal life in time as we come to know and understand the implications of the death of Jesus Christ. Okay. So again, it's knowing Jesus and knowing the Father in an intimate, personal, experiential way. And back in chapter, chapter 14, verse 19, and you can go back there now. Go back to chapter 14, verse 18 to 19. What does Jesus say about this life? Verse 19, Jesus says that because Jesus lives, the disciples will live also. Because Jesus lives, the disciples will live also. So this statement of is true, right? It's true that because Jesus rose from the dead, we will have new life. We have new life though when we believe in him. But I want you to zero in here on this immediate neighborhood as well, because we're going to see something else about this nature of eternal life for us. Look at John 14, 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. As we established last time, once again, you will see me. Is, is the resurrected Christ. You will see the resurrected Christ. Now, when Jesus came out of the grave, Jesus had a new life, didn't he? I mean, he was dead, and then he came to life. Okay? So when Jesus came out of the, out of the grave, he had a new life, resurrection life. And in particular, here in verse 19, he's talking about that. First and foremost, because I live, because I have resurrection life, therefore you will have it too. I will, Jesus is saying, I will soon live in resurrection life. Now he's talking about his humanity here. He's talking about the fact in his humanity, when he is risen from the dead, he, he has a new kind of life. It's a life that's different from the life he had before he went on the cross. Okay, And then he says, so you will be the same for you. Okay, and he notice he says soon. He says, because I live, you will live also. Because I live in resurrection life, you will also live in resurrection life. Now, he said something similar in John chapter 11. Please turn there now. John chapter 11, verse So in our verse today, he's talking about resurrection life. Notice what he says, though, earlier. This is when he's, when he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he's talking to Lazarus' sister. And he's just said to her, your, your brother will live again. And she talked about the, the last judgment. And then he comes and, and expands that concept. Notice verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words... His person is the resurrection. His person is the life. And he who believes in me will live even if he dies. He he who believes in me will live 
even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And that's a question for us this morning as well. Do we believe that? Do we, that, do we believe that because we have believed in Jesus Christ, even if we die physically, we will live? Again, by the way, physically at, one, at some point. Yes. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. What is that talking about? Well, it's talking about eternal life. See, it's saying everyone who lives and believes in me has eternal life also. So not only will there be a day when our bodies will be resurrected, like Jesus' body was resurrected, and we'll have that kind of resurrection life, there's also a life that we receive the moment we believe in Christ. And we don't have to wait for the rapture. We have it now as believers in Jesus Christ. Every believer in Jesus Christ receives a new kind of life. And it's at the moment of salvation, a new kind of life. Every believer in Christ. Again, Jesus is talking about his disciples. They're, they're a special category, right? Why do I say that? Because they started their lives, as we say, in the old dispensation, in the, in the Old Testament understanding. They... they when Jesus was walking on planet Earth, they weren't indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It was only after he ascended into heaven. Okay? So he's talking to them about something that's going to happen soon. And when that happens, as we'll see this morning, that's the start of the church. Okay? The start of the church is when a human being is, is, has the Spirit indwelling them forever. So, that, so they haven't had that yet in the upper room. They will very soon. We, on the other hand, of course, come on the back end, as it were, right? We never, we never had that Old Testament kind of life, right? We never did, never will. As a matter of fact, as Gentiles, we were never under the law to begin with. And the moment we believe in Christ, we are now entered into a whole new thing. We're a whole new creation. All things are new. Well, well the disciples had that kind of experience in a different way, of course, because they were the, they were the first generation, that became part of the church. But every believer in Christ, anyone who's here this morning who has believed in Christ and his death and resurrection, that Jesus has died for you and died for your sins, and he was raised from the dead, and that he is the Son of God. You believe that, and you receive a new kind of life that moment you believe. The Bible talks about this with several expressions, right? We are a new creation. That's a new life when we believe in Christ. Sort of a technical term that's used is regeneration. That's a technical term for basically being born again. Okay? That's a new life the moment we believe in Christ. Now, to see a passage that talks about that, I'd like you to turn to Titus now, chapter 3, verse 5. Titus, chapter 3, verse 5. Every believer in Christ receives a new life. How? How does that even happen? You know, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, when we were dead, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he made us alive. That's a new life. Remember, we saw that. We studied that recently. That's a spiritual life. All right? We were dead. All right? Not physically, but we were dead spiritually in the sense that we were separated from God, and then, then we believe in Jesus Christ, and then God makes us alive. 
In this passage, we're going to see how that happens. Or rather, who does it for us? Look at Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds. This is the gospel too, right? Justification by faith, not by works. You will run into the gospel over and over and over again in the New Testament epistles. We never, in that sense, leave the, the sphere of the gospel. No matter how sophisticated we understand the mysteries, we never leave the centerpiece of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, that's the works of the law, but according to his mercy. How? By the washing of regeneration. By the washing of regeneration. What does that mean? Well, it means that our sins are forgiven and then we are regenerated. We are born again. Literally, that word means in the Greek. We are born again and renewed by who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. I want you to notice that carefully this morning. I want you to notice who the agent is of this new life we receive the moment we believe in Christ. That agent is the Holy Spirit. And that point will be the key to understanding another expression that we'll get to this morning when we get to John 14, verse 20. That second time marker in that day. In that day. We'll see what that, that, that talks about the Holy Spirit. He's the agent of this new life that Jesus is talking about. And we'll see that soon when we return to John chapter 14, verse 20. Wow, this is a morning for turning those pages or clicking your phone or whatever it is you do. Because we're going to go to another passage now in the New Testament epistles now. Please look at Romans chapter 8, verse 23. (laughs) What we're doing is we're, as it were, piecing together what this eternal life is all about. Now, we know the definition Right To know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. But there's more information we get about it. Okay? Particularly, as it were, the time element. Okay? Because that's what Jesus is doing in, in verses 19 and 20, he, 18 through 20. He's constructing a, a time dimension to this. To this understanding of new life. And we'll do that too. Matter of fact, we're going to start doing that right here. Romans eight twenty three. Not only this, but also, he just talked about nature groaning, waiting in expectation for the revealing of the sons of God. That's the believers in Christ. The revealing, though, you might say to yourself, hey, I'm here today. (laughs) Paul, you know, Paul was there. There can't be that revealing. It's got to be another one. There will be a day when there'll be a new revealing of us. Okay? Well, and it's built into, by the way, this verse. Not only this, but also we ourselves having noticed this expression, the first fruits of the Spirit. Notice the Spirit is on the scene, and we're talking again about life, as we'll see in a moment. Okay? Also, we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit. What this is actually saying is that the first fruits is the Spirit. Right? So what's the Spirit? We've already seen the Spirit is the one who's the agent of new life. First fruits... The first part of that new life. That means that there's first fruits. Do you understand there's got to be additional fruit? That makes sense? It's just like it's an image from the harvest time. When they, when, when they, when they first, when the, when the crops were first ready 
to be harvested. They took the first batch, and that was considered the first fruits. And the Bible said, that's holy to the Lord. Okay. Same thing is true with this new life. There's a first fruit, and who is the first fruits? Do, do, do you know that when I ask questions, almost always it's in the very verse that we're studying. The Spirit. The Spirit is connected, in fact, is the first fruits. And not only this, but also we ourselves. Having, now if we have something, that means when? We have it right now. Okay, right now we have the Spirit. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. But we're like nature. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, but we're waiting for the rest of it to come in. Okay? That's now. We know that, we, by the way, we, we are born again by the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, then, and that's now. That was the moment we believed in Christ, and we have an eternal life now. And yet, we're groaning about something. We're groaning for something that hasn't happened yet. Groaning just means that we're anticipating to the point where we can't wait we're groaning about it. We can't wait for it to come. doesn't mean we're in pain. As a matter of fact, that translation groan is probably not the best word for this. It's not like we're in pain. Although we are in pain and we do suffer. That's not what this is talking about. Notice because it's defined again right after it. We, we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly. So here we are now. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We have new life. We, we were told that we have new life, resurrection life, eternal life. But we're waiting for something. What are we waiting eagerly for? Yeah, the redemption of the body. Called our adoption as sons. You might say, I thought we already are adopted children. We are. But, you know, adoption is also a process. And you ask anybody who's tried to adopt a child. And it's a process, Right? And even after legally it's established that they're your child, then there's another process, right? Bringing that child into the family and then, and then establishing them in, in, in practice, in reality, in experience as your child. So something like that is here also. Okay? Legally, if I could put it that way, our identity now is adopted child of God, son or daughter. And yet there's something to come that is going to consummate it. Make it, make it in its whole. And that hasn't happened yet. What is that? And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grow within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the completion of our adoption, which will be the redemption of our body. Our body is not redeemed. It's not. As a matter of fact, if you think about what's redeemed and made perfect, the fact is that our minds are not redeemed in that sense either. Because why? Because we're still having those minds renewed. Right? They haven't got to the part where the, where the third thing is, which is the Holy Spirit. I mean, the, the human spirit. That's really what's redeemed. That's really what's perfect now, even now. Our spirit is perfect, okay? By, and that's why that, that's how we communicate and commune and have relationship even now with God. Because we have a, a spirit. Well, when's that spirit given to us? When we're born? Right, the moment we believe. And who does it? The Holy Spirit. 
right? As a matter of fact, earlier here in chapter, it talks about the, the Holy Spirit and our spirit commune with one another, okay? So, so our bodies are not redeemed. Our hearts are still in the process of being redeemed, as it were, also. There's still problems with our hearts. Not, not, well, some of us have problems with our physical heart, I suppose, yes. But I'm, this is talking about the center of, who we, of our thinking, the center of our willing. Is our will always perfectly in sync with the will of God? No. And it never will be perfectly in sync until we die. Then it will be. And, and why would that be, by the way? Why would it be that our heart, our mind, won't be perfectly aligned to the thinking of Christ until we die? Well, the body hasn't been redeemed, then we'll lose it. That's a good point, right? What's that? Well, we're still sinners, and that's, that's, of course, tied up with the body. But there's something else. Let's step back again. What's the definition of eternal life? Knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ in a personal, intimate way. Will that happen for the first time when we are, are, are out of these bodies of corruption and face-to-face with the Lord? You bet. You bet. At that moment, right, not only will our spirits be perfect, redeemed, but then also our mind and our heart as well. But still not our bodies. The bodies have a ways to go before they're redeemed. Matter of fact, that body has to die first. And then even that, for most of the generations of Christians, and perhaps even many of us here, there'll be a period of time between when that body of corruption goes into the ground, and then we get a new one. That's the redemption of the body. The redemption of the body is when we receive the resurrected body. Then that will be redeemed. I hope you can see that we're seeing... A process, if I could put it that way, a step-by-step, maybe. First step, perfect spirit. The moment we believe in Christ, we have eternal life in that sense. Second part of that is that our minds and our hearts are being renewed and conformed. Okay, That's going to take the rest of our life and more. That's from the moment we believe, our, our minds are renewed by the word of God. Our hearts are renewed. And as that were, as it were, that's how we have more eternal life. That's how we live in eternal life. That's how we, as we have, as we have sown, that's how we reap eternal life in time. Because that's a strange expression for a lot of people. It's in the book of Galatians. Reap eternal life. A lot of people say, well, if I have it already, why do I still have to reap it in the future? Well, the answer is, is that, is that that life comes in stages. Our spirit spiritual life in that sense, moment we believe in Christ. Okay? The renewing of our mind, the renewing of our hearts, that's where we know him better. And that's the definition of eternal life. We won't know him perfectly, though, in this life. We won't know him until we're dead and we're in our bodies and we're with Jesus face to face. And we're waiting for that. We're waiting with great expectation. Not only for what we have now, but what we will have. Again, to drive home the point, we receive the first fruits of the Holy Spirit when he regenerates us and indwells us. We're born again. We have a new spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. Now, being born again happens in an instant. Being indwelt by the Holy Spirit happens in an instant. It's a fact. It's done. It's done without our permission, by the way. Our permission is believing in Christ. From then on, God does all kinds of things for us. 
Okay, and, and many of them are just automatic. They're facts. They'll never change. You're secure, you are secure in your salvation forever. You are indwelt by, as we'll see this morning, not only the Holy Spirit, but also Christ. That'll never be taken away from you. Okay. You are declared righteous by God the Father forever. It's a gift. It's a fact. Okay. So, so is being born again. So is having the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And yet it's the first fruits. And you have to, let's just stop for a minute and think about it, okay? In addition to the fact that we're born again, we're also indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that's, again, that's something that we have now. But then we have to ask the question, why? Right? Well, we've already seen the answer, right? Because the Holy Spirit is leading us into all the truth. So in that sense, the Holy Spirit is helping us to have more eternal life. Why? Because eternal life simply means to know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And we don't know him at all the moment we believe in Christ, other than who he is. We know, we know, and again, we know the facts of the gospel. We believe the facts. And in that sense, we know something about him. He's the Savior. But there's so much more that, that, that coming to know him really entails, really involves. It's a whole lifetime. It's a personal, intimate relationship through the word of God and through the mentorship of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's, it's so important really, for us to gather together and hear the word of God. Because then that process is really activated. Not by any magic, not because I'm infallible, because I'm not. As a matter of fact, the only time you can rely on perfectly what I'm saying is when I'm quoting scripture, okay? Other than that, you, need, you have a filter at times. Because I may not, when I, and that's why as I get older, you know, I was talking just a minute ago. Wow, we're turning the pages a lot. That's actually a good message when we do that. Why? Because it's more focused on the Word of God than anything else I'm saying, like what I'm saying now. It's the Word of God. So, uh, so again, we have the first fruits. He regenerates, and then he comes to indwell us. And that's the second stage. More eternal life. And now we're waiting. We're waiting with great expectation for the redemption of our body. That's the last step. That's the last stage. It's all life, right? We have spiritual life. We're coming to know the Lord, so we're getting more of eternal life. And then at the end, then our bodies will have that same life, as it were. Right now, the body spiritually is still dead. That's what Paul says. Romans 8, by the way, is a great chapter. I'm trying to get in the habit of reading chapter 8 as much as I possibly can. Oh, I'm not, I'm not excluding the rest of, of, of Romans by any means. But as a matter of fact, everything else in, in Romans chapter 1 through 7 is sort of climbing the mountain. And then where's the mountaintop? Romans 8. Romans 8. So if you're depressed anytime this week, I highly recommend that you go to Romans chapter 8 and be renewed in that sense. Who am I really? What has God really done for me? What can I expect in the future? Then you can hop over to Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and really get out of that depression with being blessed with every blessing in the heavenly places, right? So we wait with great expectation for the redemption of our body. What does that mean? Well, it simply means we'll receive a resurrection body just like the one Jesus has now. So I hope you can see. I'm going to get back to John 14, 19 and 20 in a minute. When he says, because I live, you will live also. There's a lot to that statement. There's a lot to it. That life begins the moment we believe in Christ. That life is growing now 
through the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, but that life won't be exactly the life that the, that the resurrected Jesus Christ in his humanity has until our bodies become like his as well. When will that happen? When will we have a resurrection body just like Jesus has now? Think about that. Next week? Boy, I wish. The moment we die? No. When? Come on, you guys know this. When are we going to get our resurrection bodies? No. When are we going to get our resurrection bodies? Huh? I'm going to wait because there's sometimes when you really just need, I just need to know you're active, you're with me, you know. You're actually kind of not only listening, which is fantastic, but also beginning to kind of draw on what you already know, which I hope is some things, right? When are we going to receive our resurrection body? At the rapture. When Jesus Christ meets us in the clouds. And that's what, by the way, that's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. Right? If, the, if, 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 if we haven't been raised, from, if we aren't raised from the dead, if there's no resurrection for us, not even Christ has been raised from the dead. And if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then we of all men are to be pitied. Right? Yeah, the rapture. At the rapture, we will receive a resurrection body just like the one that Jesus has now. Because I live, you will live also. Okay, now let's go back to our passage this morning. John 14, 18 to 20. You can go back there now. And we will look at verse 20, really for the first time this morning. And we're going to look at that second time marker. And we're going to see that in that day has to do with knowledge. It has to do with knowledge. Okay, so that means... Because we can have knowledge now, and we're, we're supposed to be growing in knowledge, coming to know him. In that day, has to be there in our lives. Okay? But it's not really simply when we receive a human spirit, because that's just the start of it. So I hope you see that in that day is not a 24-hour period. It can't be. We're going to see more about that. Again, John 14, verse 20, in that day. You will know, you will have personal knowledge of the fact that I am in my Father. And, the, and you are in me. You, the believer in Christ, are in Christ. And I, Christ, will be in you. Now there, there's, um, let, let me say, multiple lifetimes of learning in that simple statement at the end of verse 20. I am in my Father, you are in me, and I'm in you. I mean, I mean, just just that last one for a minute. Jesus Christ is in you this morning. Rather, Christ, the resurrected Christ, is in you this morning. When you leave this morning, he'll be in you. When, when your worst nightmare comes true, he'll be in you. And, 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 and he's in you, and we're going to see that his very presence is hope. Great, great hope. And as we, and again, we'll, we will see it, and we'll have it and think about it. It'll be in our heads, right? And hopefully in our hearts. But then there's that personal experience of it. And that comes when we really need that. We really need him inside us. Because everything outside us is looking pretty grim. And we need to be retreating, as it were, 
into our hearts, back to the facts, back to seeing that our life is above there with him who's also in us. And when we see that, I hope that just revolutionizes your day when you then picture again, wait a minute, Christ is in me, I'm in Christ, Christ is up there, I'm okay. I'm okay. I will live, you will live also, right? Look at verse 18 again. Now we're going to look at that expression, though, in verse 20. In that day, that second time marker. In a little while, that was a little while. That was just three days. All right? In that day, now we have to understand what time marker that is. Notice verse 14, chapter 14, verse 18, one more time, because this is the context. This is the lead up. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That's the post-resurrection appearances of Christ. Then after a little while... The world will no longer see me. That's when he's into the grave. You will see me. That's when he's raised from the dead. And now the expression, because I live, you will live also. What's in that day in verse 20? Again, it's this really simple, gang. You will live also is the day. Is that day. Now let's step back a minute. I hope I've convinced you that our living also is not just a moment in time. It's not just a 24-hour period, is it? Absolutely not. It begins, this new life begins when we believe in Christ, when we're born anew, when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. That's when it starts. And then our life in Christ, living, gets in terms of understanding who God is and who Christ is, continues and grows, hopefully, as, the, as we um, get mature, right? That's part of that day, Right? Okay. Now, remember I told you how to, that we should carefully look at the role that the Holy Spirit is playing in imparting new life to us. Because we're looking at what does it mean? What does he mean that we will live also? What is this day that he's talking about? Remember the Holy Spirit. Look at John chapter 7, verse 37. John chapter 7, verse 37. Oh, there's a little switch in your head that says, okay, now I've got to really concentrate because he's back to the word of God. Okay. John seven thirty seven. Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, thirsty, by the way, for life, let him come to me and drink. That's expression of believing in Jesus Christ. Verse 38, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water, life, new life. By this he spoke of the Spirit. So, so what he's talking about is that rivers of living water, that's, that's the Holy Spirit in our hearts. But this, by this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Still future. Why? When the Spirit was not yet given. Oh, why not? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. Something's going to happen when Jesus is glorified. That something has to do with the Holy Spirit who will be given to us. And then those rivers of living water will flow in our hearts, our innermost being. So there you have it. The day of which Jesus is speaking in John fourteen twenty begins when Jesus is glorified. So I want you to think about the time marker again. Okay. In a little while, again, I'll 
from the point of view of him being in the upper room, going to go to the cross the next day, in a little while means after he raised, he's raised from the dead. That's a three-day period. And then, and then this day began when Jesus is glorified, the in that day part, right? When was Jesus glorified now? When was he glorified? When, we, when, when was he in his complete glory in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father? When he's ascended into heaven. When's that? When's that? 40 days after, right? Then he's, then he's glorified. And what is given to us because Jesus is glorified? The Holy Spirit. Good. He's given. So that day, remember, I hope I've convinced you it's not a 24-hour period. It's a long period of time because it's not going to just speak to the disciples, but to every believer in Christ in every generation since Jesus has been glorified because they all receive the Holy Spirit. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father. So then... When Jesus is glorified, okay, the first time, then the disciples will receive the Holy Spirit. That's that day. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. So again, in that day refers to a period of time. In that day. It began when? When did that day begin? Not a 24-hour period by any means. Jesus was glorified, and then the Holy Spirit came down. There's a little time between when he's glorified and the Spirit comes down, like 10 days, because the Spirit comes down on what's called Pentecost. That was a Jewish feast, 50 days after the end of Passover. In that day, you will know, you will know, and this isn't any old kind of knowing, that's an intimate, personal, experiential Knowledge. You will know that I am in the Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. <laughs> that day began when the Holy Spirit, <laughs> excuse me, that day began when the Holy Spirit indwelt the disciples on Pentecost. That's when the day began. Okay? I mean, it, it literally, technically began when he's glorified, but really it began, for all practical purposes, when the Holy Spirit first indwelt the disciples on Pentecost. In that day began began with the, on the day that Jesus Christ first indwelt disciples, believers. That's when it began. When will it end? When will that day end? Are we involved in it? Exactly. Yes, it will end at the, the rapture of the church. Wow, because then the life is completed, as it were, right? Our bodies will, will as it were, catch up with our our spirits and our hearts and our minds. That's when that day ends. So I hope you understand it's a period of time. It's not 24 hours. So many times in the word of God, you know, days and years mean a lot more than they just mean naturally. Okay, in that day is a period of time. Begins, begins on the, it began on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit first indwelt believers, happened to be the disciples. It ends with the rapture of the church. That period of time has a name, and it's known as the church age. In that day is the church age. Okay, so verse 20, therefore, follow me now, applies not just to those men who were in the upper room with him, although it started with them. It applies to each and every church age believer. Each and every church age believer. In that day, now, 
you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. In other words, not only will we know who Jesus really is, we will also understand that he's in us, that we're in him, and he's in us. Verse 20 applies to every church-age believer. Now, it is true, in terms of this knowledge, that the disciples will know these things, things that they hadn't known before Jesus went to be with the Father, before Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to indwell believers. Remember, we already saw, by the way, that, that they didn't understand what Jesus meant when he said, I and the Father are one, right? Have you been with me so long and you still don't what? Know me. Know me. You may have heard me say things. You may have sort of packed that away in your head, but you don't really know me. What are the three things? One, this comes right out of verse 20, I am in my Father, Jesus said. Notice it's a, like a relationship. Can you see that? I'm in, my, I'm in my Father. It's so close that I'm actually in Him. You're in me. It's so close that we're actually in Christ forever. I'm in you. It's so close that he's in us. You can't get any closer than those things. And of course, he doesn't say this here, but you can kind of, if you want to connect the dots, you can say, Jesus is in his Father, right? I'm in him, and he's in me. Tight, right? That relationship is tight, not only between us and Jesus, but also with us and the Father through Jesus, not on our own. Now, let's just kind of quickly take this up. I am in my Father refers to the deity of Christ, the deity of Jesus Christ. We've already seen, again, that they didn't understand this. Jesus spoke to them about this the night he went to, before he went to the cross. They didn't get it. Philip said, show us the Father and it will be enough, right? Well, you don't understand that he's in me and I'm in him. And again, let me, let me just, again, the word know in the Greek here and many other places that I've tried to point out means knowledge based on personal experience. You see, it, when Jesus comes in us, it's personal, right? It's in us, it's in you, it's personal. When we're in him, it's personal. Now, it's also the whole body, we're in the body of Christ, okay? But it's personal knowledge, intimate experience, interpersonal relationship. It only comes from a direct, ongoing, personal experience of someone or something. It says that we're an interpersonal relationship. You will know that I am in my Father. Again, they heard him teach that he and the Father were one. But they didn't understand exactly what it meant because they weren't able to. Why weren't they able to? Spirit was not given yet because Jesus was not glorified. They weren't able to understand that until the Spirit came to indwell their hearts. Does the Spirit indwell your heart? Yes, therefore you can understand these things. That's the glory of what we're talking about this morning. These are things that never, been re- never, never been revealed until now. So Jesus heard that. They heard that Jesus say it, but they didn't understand it. Look at John 16, 13. John 16, 13. Why? Why is it that they didn't get it when Jesus said it? Jesus said it. That he was in his father and his father. Why didn't they understand that? (coughs) Until that day, which began when the Holy Spirit came. This is why. John 16, 13. But when, in that day, when when he, the Holy Spirit of truth, 
knowledge comes, he will guide you into all the truth. In 2 Corinthians 2, it says that the Holy Spirit even understands the depths of God. That's the well from which he can draw to explain these things. It's amazing when you think about it. He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. That's why they can understand these things. And again, back in John chapter 14, verse 20. As we close this morning. John 14, 20. We've got two more things to look at, right? You will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. All right. But before we see that, let us just look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Because, so you think about it. Okay, so they didn't get it the night he was, before he went to the cross. They're not going to get it until after the Holy Spirit comes to indwell them. And by the way, when do we, when do we see the results of the Holy Spirit indwelling the apostles? When can we actually read the history of it? In the Gospels? No. When was, when, when was he indwelt? When the Spirit indwelt the disciples? Yeah, thank you. After Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. By the way, that's, where the, that's the end point for the Gospels. You don't go beyond that information. Yeah, in the book of Acts, you start to see it. The book of Acts, of course, describes uh, life of Peter and Paul primarily. So you have to, when you're reading it, you have to say, okay, so there's a little here based on some of their speeches and stuff, but I want to know more of it. And so the only way you can know more of it is to turn to the church age epistles. They record new revelation, came only after the Spirit indwelt believers. And with that, I'd like you to turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Colossians 1, 15. This is the new revelation about what it meant that Jesus is in his Father. What it meant that Jesus is God. Look at Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. He shares the essence of God. He is the firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created. Jesus Christ is the creator in his deity, of course. That's what it means that Jesus is God. He created all things, both in the heavens and in the earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That was new revelation about the deity of Christ that was given to Paul. All right, so again, now we turn next to John chapter 20, the second expression, you and me. John 14, 20, you in me. What does that refer to? Well, just think about it for a minute. What does it mean that we're in Christ? When did that happen? When, you're in Christ today. When did that happen? Well, we believed. Why? What happened the moment we believed? We were baptized by the Holy Spirit. There's the Holy Spirit again. We're baptized into Christ. You in me is the, refers to the results of the baptism by the Spirit into Christ. I want to give you again the definition of baptism. All right? This is baptism for the believer in Christ. 
you have been placed into and permanently identified with Christ. That's baptism for us. That's the baptism by the Spirit. You've been placed into Christ. You're permanently identified with Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. Galatians 3, 27. When you notice this is a statement of fact, already happened for every believer in Christ. Galatians 3, 27 to 28. This is what he meant by you in me. Galatians 3, 27. For all of you, baptism of the Spirit isn't a special second blessing. It's not the, the, the preview of winter believers or those who are going the extra mile and whatever. No. It's for all of us. All of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Christ above you, Christ below you, you're in him completely. Like a fish is in the water. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And then we get that third unique gift, as it were, to the church. I in you. Jesus said, I'm in you. A simple expression. But again, lifetimes of understanding there. I'm in you. Jesus is in you. Christ is in you. Unique gift. Church aid believer only. Christ is in us. He's in us. You know, when we're here together, we should really get into this. You know what I'm saying? I understand you get out there into the world and then things get maybe less intense. But I hope here you just have a moment, just a moment, to just reflect and love and experience and enjoy the fact that Christ is in you. And I'm going to prove it to you. Colossians 1, 26. Colossians 1, 26. Jesus says it in the upper room. He's talking about when the Spirit comes to indwell all believers. Then we find out that we need to understand and we're given the revelation that comes when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes. That comes out in the epistles, primarily Paul. Colossians 1, 26 to 27 That is the mystery. It's a mystery. It was hidden from past ages and generations. It was hidden, by the way, even from John the Baptist, right? because he died before the church age began. Hidden from past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. What is that? Verse 27. To whom God willed, in in the kindness of his mercy and grace, he willed to make known, notice the knowledge, what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because Christ is in you, you have the hope, absolute assurance, that you will share glory with Christ one day. And that cat says it all. Because you have to have a perfect spirit, a perfect mind, and a perfect body to share in the very glory of the resurrected Christ. What an awesome time to be a believer in the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Father, this morning, we thank you, Father, that we've got a glimpse more of what John chapter 14, verses 18 to 20 are really all about. We understand now, Father, that it's a lifetime of coming to know you and your Son and to understand what it means that we're in Christ and he's in us. 
We know that 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 process continues every day of our lives. And the way that we really rev it up is by being in the word, especially the epistles, every day of our lives so that we can have continued insight into that well of knowledge that the Holy Spirit has for us. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, we will have Bible study this Thursday. I know we didn't have it last week. Um, by the way, my wife thanks you for your prayers and your understanding when I was away on Thursday. Um, Gospel of Jesus Christ, I want to repeat it again in its simplicity, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that God loved us so much that even though we were dead in our sins, he gave us his beautiful, amazing son who became man and actually, in obedience to his father's will, went to the cross where he died for the sins of the world. He was buried on the third day, was raised from the dead. And now whoever simply believes this amazing truth called the gospel, that Jesus Christ is your savior, he was risen from the dead, he is God in the flesh, whoever simply believes that will never perish but has eternal life. All right, everybody, let's close. Simply, Father, thank you for all your gifts. Thank you for giving us this treasure for us to share with others, starting with the gospel. And help us, motivate us to do so. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. Enjoy this Sunday. Maybe you'll run into an unbeliever. All right, maybe you'll give a fist pump to the Lord and say, yep, we got this. And give the, and give the gospel.